0: Goes on media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. Now, you may recall last summer, because it was the 50th anniversary of the partial decriminalisation of homosexuality, there was a show on the BBC called The People's History of LGBT Britain. There were two incredible women that were included in that. But their story is so incredible that an entire documentary, an entire film is being made about them. It's called Invisible Women. You're going to meet them now. Angela and Lucia.
1: Yes, I was oh, born you? in a Magdalen home and my uh, grandmother uh, came and took me away from there when I was about three or four years of age. And uh, so I grew up in Ireland up until the year of uh, 14 I was. And then she found out I was gay and she kept threatening to put me away back in a home. And I, I think that, you know, really upset me a lot. And um, she never stopped going on about it and uh, to try and see if she could cure me or whatever. Now, none of the rest, she kept all this from the rest of the family. But in the end, I just thought, i got to get away from all this. So anyway, I decided to run away, as a lot of children did, I suppose, you know, and they still do today from their homes. So you knew you couldn't be gay in Ireland. No, in w- What year was this? Uh, this was 1965, I believe, mm. something like that. Um, anyway, I, uh, I, I came to uh, Manchester and... Um, I found some family here, but I only stayed with those from relatives. That is, I stayed with those for a couple of months and then I left again because of the same thing, basically, was coming out. And I was afraid that the same thing might happen anyway. I thought the best thing to do is for me to just see if I can live on my own. I came down to Manchester because I'd heard about the gay clubs and uh, pubs in Manchester, which they weren't called gay at the time. They were the queer places, oh, really? and yeah, and uh, so I went in there, and I made some friends. To cut a long story short, and um, it was just dreadful, but. I had nowhere to live, so I was I lived for quite a long time on the streets with other uh, young gay people that was uh, had run away from home for the same reasons I did.
0: And you really found that there <coughs> were other other gays on the streets. Oh there yes, there gays was a lesbians? lot.
1: Yes, there was a lot of gays and lesbians on the street, uh, bo- both boys and girls. And we used to kind of huddle together uh, down near Victoria Station in under the um, in under the uh, viaducts in the night until we uh, eventually, you know, found somewhere or some. Yeah, uh, other oh, gays would put us up every now and again if they could, you know.
0: And I guess everyone felt like they really had nowhere to turn then in those no, days. No, you had
1: no place to turn. There was nothing at all for us then. Everyone was just in survival mode. And the main thing was keeping warm and uh, not being too hungry, finding somewhere to wash yourself and be presentable walking into the Union in the night so as you didn't, you know, so look what, like a tramp, basically.
0: What was your experience coming out in Ireland then that me- that made you you know, think that it was better to live on the streets. Of well, Manchester. I didn't
1: come out of Ireland, uh, out in Ireland. My brother found a letter from a girl in my school bag and all hell broke loose in the house because they realised that I wasn't right in the head. That's the way they put it. And it was straight away after that that uh, my grandmother was threatening to put me away somewhere. And the idea of going back in a Magdalene home must have sat in my mind still, you know what I mean? It was a lunatic asylum in, in Belfast she was talking to me about.
0: And they actually talked about uh, lobotomy as well to you, didn't they? Uh,
1: no, that happened, in, uh, that happened in England because I was living on the streets of Manchester at the time. And um, what happened there was I, I, was, uh, I stole a bicycle uh, to try and get where I was getting. Uh, and uh, someone caught me anyway. And to cut a long story short, the, um, the police arrested me. I ended up uh, going to, uh, uh, what's the name of it, court. When I got up in the court, it was about 148 charges against me. I got two years probation and uh, the rest of the charges was uh, dropped. The judge realized what was happening. And um, to cut another long story short, it was recommended that I had to go and see a psychiatrist because uh, of the gay thing and that they had a cure for it because they thought that um, I was uh, off kilter and that I was suffering from depression. And it was all due to the fact that I was gay. I mean, I was only a kid at the time. I think I was coming up to maybe 15 or 16, 16, I think. Anyway, I went to see the psychiatrist and uh, he was asking me, coming from a Catholic background and still believing in God and all that type of a thing, the questions he was asking was absolutely awful. And I'd never heard of lobotomy, never heard of it. Mm. And he was sitting behind this big... Um, mahogany disc and he was talking about uh, all these experiments that he wanted to do and how I'd prepare for it all and everything else when I realised that he was actually going to tamper with my brain and the dirty questions I just I ran out of there.
0: Well, do you know, a lot of people listening might be too young to understand or know what a lobotomy is, so just explain what it is.
1: Well, lobotomy is where they kind of cut out a part of your brain that they think is uh, is the cause of your homosexuality, basically. And it leaves you like a cabbage or numb. You're never the same after it. You're, you're, you've, it's just awful.
0: Sort of zombifies people, did not it? Yes, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. You become You become nothing. OK. So, Angela, was your story similar coming out in the 1960s?
2: Well, Lucia and I had kind of similar origins in the sense that we were both illegitimate children. Um, I could have been born in Ireland as well, but my mother chose to get on the boat and come to England to have me and a mother and baby home. Ah. And so bizarrely, we had this sort of Irish thing in common. And so then I was adopted and raised uh, as a strict Catholic, so all through my growing up and as I got into my teens and realized I was attracted to to girls, you know, I was sort of dealing with all the the conflict of that through all my teens of uh, I remember trying to confess it to a priest and him asking me all these weird questions about it all and stuff and uh, so when I got to the age of nineteen that was just when the women's movement was starting and all that was coming up and I think I read the female eunuch and things and so it was all coming together where I just rejected um, my Catholic upbringing because I knew I couldn't be a lesbian, I mean there was no even word gay at that time And I knew the Union pub existed, but I was too frightened to go there because it was seen as, you know, pretty grim dive where, you know, God knows who hung hung out, so I never went there. And
0: I guess that's one of the original ones then on Canal Street in Manchester.
2: The Union pub. There was just Mm. the Union, the New York and the Rembrandt. That's all there was. There was no village as such. And it was pretty seedy. And at the time I was a student up the road and um, heard about Gay Liberation, and that somehow enabled me to come out through my politics, if you like, and there was, you know, I remember going in with my badge on, you know, GLF badge and and that was coming out for me to uh, my other student friends. And GLF stood for the Gay Liberation Front? Gay Liberation Front, which had come from America, then come to London. And, you know, so that's where we were getting our ideas and information really was from the West Coast, I suppose, California and New York and places. Um, So then I started to join organisations and things. And we were saying to ourselves, which is kind of funny now to think back, but we need to get out into the gay clubs and the gay scene and tell people and almost a bit like the Salvation Army almost, you know, we've got the message and we want to get out there. So one night, me and another friend from Lancaster Uni went into the, what was the Picador Club on Shewed Hill then. And it was one of the places where you had to knock on a door and a little wooden thing slid back. And wow. a bloke was stood there going, hello, who are you? You know, and we were let in because he could see we were lesbians. And uh, we were, I think we had little leaflets or something. Um... And we was trying to talk to people and put our ideas over. Nobody was taking a great deal of notice. They just wanted to have a good time. And then suddenly the woman at the next table, who turned out to be Lucia... Ears pricked up, and the next minute she's come over to us and saying things like, I've been telling them this for years, and so we were delighted because we'd actually mm-hmm. made a
0: contact with someone. So, you two met in the Picador in 1970. What was that meeting like for you then, Lucia? It was it a bit well, of a I revelation? Believe-
1: well, it was because um, <clears throat> my experience of uh, the union and all that at the time was uh, one side of it was fantastic. We had the, um, the open mic night on a Saturday, which was brilliant uh but we were like uh, every, there was a lot of unhappy people uh, in there uh, like myself uh, that you know no no homes no jobs couldn't you know thrown out of uh, their homes and jobs for the re- the reasons uh, that we've just said and uh, and there was a lot of suicides young people killing themselves there was a lot of uh, people uh, that ended up in prison and then came out of prison and that we had a drug problem you know these were all gay people now mm. yeah <laughs> And so it, it became a, a ride dive, but it was our dive and you felt safe in there because the minute you stepped out of that union and onto the street, you had to run for your life between pubs and clubs because of all the queer bashers, they were called, and the police at that particular time. Did that affect you? Did you yes, have- it started to depress me and it was a life that I didn't think, along with a lot of other young people like myself, that we could put up with this any longer. So we did used to start talking, but we none of us knew what to do or how we could change anything, even change. Ourselves, we were a mess, and you know I had things going on in my head, thinking all, all the time. You know this 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 has to change. This has to change because we were losing too many young people through suicide, and a lot of kids went missing out of the union that we knew again. We never heard what happened to them or anything, and it it just was starting to really get me down. I was at a really low ebb. So when I heard the conversation. Uh, At the table about gay liberation front, I didn't know what liberation meant. I didn't know what a a, a politician, I mean, I knew nothing about nothing. All I was was surviving on the streets, gay, young and in the union. So when I heard Angela talking about all this gay liberation stuff, I asked her, could I just sit down and have a listen to what they're saying? Because I thought it was really interesting.
0: And how did it change your life then, working for this movement, both of you? I think we seemed to meet at just the right moment for each other,
2: Emma, because although I had my politics and things like that, I didn't know any what I would call real lesbians. Lucia was almost the first one. It wasn't like one of my fellow students and so on. So I was really drawn to her and all her life experience. And then she was, as she's described, pretty desperate really to get away from the lifestyle that she was in and... So shortly after we met and after we had the first meeting of the Gay Liberation Front, they wanted someone, people, well, women, to move into what was the Manchester Women's Centre. And we moved in there together, by which time we were a couple. Yeah, So you fell in love as well. We fell in love as well. And... uh, Lucia's so. raising her eyebrows now. <laughs> She's never gotten over it, love. Oh, no. <laughs> Heart pumping. You're not
0: a couple anymore, let's point that <laughs> out. We were
2: a couple for about two years yeah. and then we carried on. We would yeah. So for her it was great because it was a way out of somewhere she wanted to get from and for mm-hmm. me it was a chance to really live a life I wanted to live as, a, as an out lesbian.
1: Mm. But for me it was just a little bit more than that because for me it was all about changing things for everybody, you know, of my own class.
0: And, and what did you do then to try and uh, change the lifestyle? So what what work did the GLF do in the early well, 70s? Well the first thing was to have a meeting
2: and we just got getting everybody together really to talk and to express themselves and what what was wrong with what was happening and what could we look forward to and our rights. I mean of course in those days the idea of gaming marriage was completely so what sort a, of things a, were you doing and ourselves emma because lucia was a bit trapped in the uh, the butch and the femme era you know where you had to be arthur or martha and <laughs> I, I i was a hippie yeah. so i could be a lesbian and have long hair and flowing outfits and you know mm-hmm. but lucia had had to choose really hadn't you to be
1: either or butcher, we, you either had to be butcher femme that uh, in those days
0: Mm. which did you opt for then Liz? well
1: i had to go for butch love because i looked ridiculous <laughs> in a skirt it's not that i was very mannish or anything i just never felt like wearing high heels in a skirt mm.
0: yeah. and he used to go around doing graffiti as well is that right well, uh, well we wanted
2: to very much make our presence felt both to ourselves and to everybody so we'd do stuff like one night after the clubs had shut and we'd probably had, had a few drinks and that we'd Borrowed my mother's car, and we had a big tin of yellow paint. There's four of us in the car, and we sort of looking around trying to avoid the police. And we painted lesbians are here on this bridge. Then we tipped the paint up in the car. <laughs> I bet your mum was thrilled. <laughs> well, we had to clean it up. Yeah. Um, Actually, we we
1: we, uh, we painted a lot of buildings up yellow with saying "Lesbians are everywhere," uh, because what we wanted to do really was get noticed. This mm. was the first strategy we had. Let's let's get everybody talking about lesbians because nobody was taking any notice. So as that uh, somebody would come after us somewhere, and we could get something started. So, you know, you light the spark and see what
2: happens. And we do a thing called happenings where we'd go in a pub, but we went in the pub on Oxford Road. So this would be men and women, you know, we'd walk in and sit down and we would just look like an average couples, I suppose. And then at a given signal. One of us would get up and go and sit next to a woman or a man and put their arms around them and start giving them a kiss. And the whole pub would just go silent and then we'd run <laughs> before they could do anything to mm-hmm. us. So that was called a happening in them days.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, can you believe the Manchester today from the one where you met in 1970? Can you believe how much? That's it's a trended? funny
1: thing. You should ask me that, you know, because this is the truth. Now, I like to go down to Pride every year and uh, and just stand outside the Union Pub, and I tell you, I cry with happiness because I think, look mm. at what has happened since the day we had that meeting in the Union in in, in the late 60s. Look look at what's happened since. It's wonderful. And this is why I would urge all gay people to get out there and enjoy their life and be the best that they can be.
0: Thanks so much to the amazing Lucia and Angela. And you can find out more about their extraordinary lives and support the documentary that's being made about them. Just go online and search for Invisible Women Kickstarter. It's really worth just even watching the trailer for that film. Thanks again to them. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter. You can find us there at Come Out Stories. I'm Emma Goldswell, and Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. Coming up next, you'll hear from Prince Manvendra. Yep, it's our first royal. I I did have death threats also. My effigies were burnt in the fire and there were protests in the whole city with people shouting slogans and uh, saying I should be exiled from there, I should be boycotted socially because I brought shame and humiliation to the royal family.